Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number, should you wish to be a part of the program, 877-973-7425. I want to go straight to the phones as promised. Particularly, I want to go to David, a doctor. David, welcome to the program. How are you? Hi, Eric. Uh, thank you for getting me on the show. I've listened to you all the time, and but you said something about health care in the last hour that it triggered me, and I've never called in before. <laughs> well, I'm, I, I apologize, but, it, you know, I, I genuinely am curious. I, I had to fill out all this stuff online, but then I had to fill out the same paperwork, uh, like, on paper. And, like, what, why do I have to do that? It, it's terrible. It's terrible. The, um, first of all, all the electronic systems don't communicate with each other. Um, second, just because it's on electronic system somewhere doesn't mean it's going to download into individual doctor's uh, record in their in their office i've been doing this for 35 years grew up in this era so i, I know what happens and uh you know it's it's a uh, yeah it's cumbersome it's really bad oh yeah i, I just say uh, and i feel for you hey, guys too yeah we, because we got to get everything straight because honestly if one die i is not dotted or t crossed then the claim doesn't go through right and we don't get paid um yeah but the other thing that you said if you don't mind my going there, um, about about the about the drug thing, you know. Yeah, pain. yeah. By the way, uh, you should know. Uh, during commercial break, a guy, a listener, actually sent me a link to a study that showed, particularly on opioids, that there's there's. Let's see. Let me let's see this. This is from the Mayo Clinic. Uh, researchers at Mayo Clinic have found that the odds you'll still be on opioids a year after starting a five day treatment increase. Uh, after only five days, which I didn't realize. Um, I'm not sure I agree with that study. I treated um, hundreds of patients over many years. Uh, they warned me when I first started my practice that, that there'd be the drug seekers coming out, and certainly they did. Uh -huh. But uh, I, I vetted that pretty closely, and at, I can say over about the first 10, 15 years of my practice, I only had a couple that, that pulled the wool over my eyes. Uh -huh. uh, now is we have with the electronic medical record here we have this uh, there's this state tracking system and e-prescribing has made it virtually impossible for a patient if the doctor just clicks the link in his chart and he can see every controlled substance that that patient has gotten who got it who, who wrote it when they when it was written when it was filled how many it was filled for so so now the the safety net for doctors who are compassionate who want to take care of people but don't have the time to check out if people are abusing or drug seeking or selling uh, that we can, we can check into that very quickly with a click of a button. So well, that's good to know. Cause I, I just, I was, look, I was treated by some great people yesterday. They, they were, they were kind, they were compassionate. Um, but I, at the end of the day, they're like, well, you're on blood thinner. So we can't give you ibuprofen. Just take Tylenol. I'm like my f missing finger really hurts. And I deal I deal with this all the time, Eric. I deal with it all the time. Patients will get a kind of a big procedure done by an orthopedist or somebody and they get this meager amount of narcotic to get them through the post op period because they're scared spitless about, you know, people getting addicted. But you know, it, it doesn't take care of it's not compassionate, it doesn't take care of the patient. 
No, and it was just it, it was so so frustrating to me. Uh, David, listen, thank you very much for the phone call. It was just it, it was it was frustrated. Uh, it was frustrating, and and this is not to slight them at all. They they were they were super nice people. They were very nice people, uh, and, and they helped. Uh, I mean, they, they got the bleeding stopped and everything. But I just I I was kind of shocked that it was uh, you can't take ibuprofen, so just take some Tylenol. And even they conceded it it doesn't do much good, and they didn't say it. I got the sense of the way they were talking that it was the, the local policy that they were bound by, and. My gosh, um, I've got a chunk of my finger gone. It it it, it hurts. Um, it was frustrating. Thankfully, I had something at home. Tim, Charlie says you have to be the only, the, the last caller on this particular subject because he's tired of taking people's calls on this. <laughs> How are you? Tim? Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm here. Yeah, thanks for taking my call. Yeah, my uh, belief is... How, why they have you fill out paperwork multiple times is they're looking for deception. Oh, that Basically, could be. They're asking you questions that they already know the answer to. It. They, you know, if they get different answers, they're going to be uh, bringing up red flags on that. Yeah, except That's it's not- always the the um, you, you, who in your family has had these problems and and what's your insurance information and and who are you and what's your social security number and yeah they they do then ask in all the different forms. Um, What's your background? Have you had any of these sorts of problems? What medicines are you on? And I get that, but I mean, why do if I've got to digitally send them my insurance card for their records, why then do I have to actually write out the number on the piece of paper? It's just a look. I, I appreciate the whole call. So deeply frustrated to me the, the level of inefficiencies there. Uh, maybe this is something the Republicans can deal with when they get back Congress. <laughs> I jest because, you know, they're going to do nothing. I mean, they can't do a whole lot. Uh, In large part, they can't do a whole lot because uh, they won't have a veto-proof majority. But that being said, that being said, um, it's kind of crazy uh, that... We're, we're in this sort of situation where nothing's actually going to to happen. Um, it's just kind of bizarre. So now uh, we got this situation with the Democrats as they lose control of Congress. One of their defensive techniques to try to keep control of Congress is to pick the Republican candidates for them. Colorado isn't viewed, this is from Politico, as a prime Republican Senate pickup opportunity this fall. Not yet, at least. In the hopes of keeping it that way, Democrats are aggressively advancing the campaign of a hardline MAGA Senate candidate in a last-ditch effort to elevate him over a moderate Republican who's viewed as a threat to Democratic Senator Michael Bennett. National and statewide Republican operatives were frantically trading texts Tuesday night as ad buys posted from Democratic Colorado, a left-wing super PAC. It's spending $800,000 to shape the Republican primary. The group is running an ad burnishing State Representative Ron Hanks' conservative credentials, a spot Republican strategists say will boost the underfunded effort in the June 28th Republican primary. Hanks, who believes former President Donald Trump won in 2020 and that all abortions should be outlawed, has raised only $38,000 in his Senate campaign. He's never had an ad on television. He's up against Joe O'Day, who many in the GOP think actually has a shot at winning crucial, unaffiliated, and disaffected Democratic voters in November. 
While Democrats have dominated statewide races in recent years, President Joe Biden won Colorado by double digits in 2020. The president's approval ratings are currently underwater in the blue state. Beating Hanks in the general election is a layup, says uh, Greg Brophy, a GOP strategist. If Democrats spend $1 million to help Hanks win the GOP primary, that will save them $20 million in the general. It's actually rather brilliant. Now, this isn't the first time Democrats have done this. They've also done it in Missouri in the past. They helped Claire McCaskill. They got Todd Akin, and then Todd Akin blundered an interview question about uh, rape and abortion and went down in flames. Claire McCaskill capitalized that on and beat him. And Democrats in Colorado have done this before as well. Democrats in 2010 in the GOP Republican primary helped Dan Mays narrowly take the nomination over an establishment Republican, and Mays received just 11% of the vote that November John Hickenlooper was able to get elected to the Colorado governor's office. I remember that election. Uh, Mays was a disaster of a candidate. The Democrats are doing this around the country. Interestingly enough, uh, more than one Democrat tells me they thought about doing this with David Perdue in Georgia. Uh, Not that they thought Purdue could actually beat Kemp, but he could have gotten into a runoff with Kemp, the Democrats were thinking, uh, and it could have made Kemp spend more money and dragged out the Republican primary and made it even nastier as a way to help Stacey Abrams. But even the Democrats polled in Georgia and realized that uh, Purdue's campaign was such a disaster, there was no way they were going to be able to do that. So they didn't spend money there, but around the country they are. They're also looking at doing it in Nevada. In Nevada, uh, you've got Adam Laxalt. He's the Republican preferred Senate candidate. Uh, Donald Trump is supporting him. I support him. The Club for Growth is supporting him. The Republican establishment is supporting him. Adam Laxalt, he's a good dude. He was the attorney general in Nevada. Everyone from Mitch McConnell to uh, Donald Trump is supporting him. But the Democrats have started funding an opponent who's got a compelling background story as a military veteran. uh, And they're trying to boost this guy against Laxalt because they're worried about Laxalt in the general. The Democrats also did this in Pennsylvania. Uh, Mastriano, the the Republican nominee in Pennsylvania, the Democrats funded Mastriano's campaign. The Democrats ran more ads for Mastriano in Pennsylvania than Mastriano ran. They spent more money elevating Mastriano than the Republicans spent, and Mastriano got the nomination. He's an unmitigated disaster for the GOP in Pennsylvania. I mean, take it to you this way. Selena Zito, Selena Zito is a friend. She's also one of the best reporters covering Pennsylvania. She's a conservative. She has uh, covered Republican and conservative candidates for a while. She tends to write very favorable interviews. Mastrano's campaign won't even return her phone call. It's a disaster. And the Democrats spent almost a million dollars helping make sure that guy got the nomination. And now they're doing the same thing in Colorado. And Republican voters have to be smart. And not give in to the temptation of saying, oh, my gosh, this guy's such a conservative. I've got to vote for him. Well, yeah, he may be. But um, really, you're going to vote for this guy and he's going to lose? Do you want to take the Senate or not? That's the question Republicans are going to have to answer. Do you want to take the Senate or not? Um, And I would like to take the Senate back from the Democrats. I I would very much like to take the Senate back from the Democrats. I don't know about y'all. Uh, But whether you like Mitch McConnell or not, I would far prefer for him to control the agenda of the Senate than Chuck Schumer 
I would far con- prefer the Republicans to control the House than Nancy Pelosi. I mean, your, your mileage may vary. Now, I wish the Republicans in the House wouldn't put Kevin McCarthy in charge. Here's some of the uh, secret audio of Kevin McCarthy. Turns out he wanted the January 6th investigation. When they started breaking into my office, um, myself and the staff got removed from the office. In doing so, I made a phone call to the president um, telling him what was going on, asking him to tell these people to stop, to make a video and go out. And I, I was very intense and very loud about it. We cannot just sweep this under the rug. We need to know why it happened, who did it, and people need to be held accountable for it. And I'm committed to make sure that's happened. That was Kevin McCarthy then. Kevin McCarthy now says he he never wanted this sort of investigation. Kevin McCarthy is just a, a spineless weather vane, and Republicans will regret making him Speaker of the House. Conservatives don't like him. Uh, no one really particularly cares for him. He's just an opportunist, and people don't like opportunists, and that's what Kevin McCarthy is. Uh, he's fine where he is right now with the minority, but put him as the majority, uh, as the Speaker of the House, it's going to be a disaster for the GOP. Uh, we don't need this guy out in Colorado becoming the Republican nominee, and we sure don't need Kevin McCarthy as Speaker of the House of Representatives. Neither situation would be good for the GOP, and Republicans need to wake up and realize what's happening. The Democrats are trying to steer insanity towards the GOP, hoping the GOP takes the bait. And unfortunately, in Pennsylvania, the Republican Party's bit hard on insanity, and now they're going to lose the governor's mansion. There are a lot of options out there. If you're a self-starter and you want to invest on your own, it can be really confusing. And I'm delighted to tell you about SoFi because that's who I use, and now I've got them as an advertiser. If you're a SoFi user, uh, my gosh, you get all sorts of options, great research. You get the ability to invest in stocks, EFTs, crypto, plan out your retirement. Uh, More importantly, you got people you can call on. I mean, for example, um, I can use SoFi to buy stocks and EFTs and do the deep dive research if I need to and get complimentary financial planners ready to help answer questions. Uh, You can too, whether you're stuck on where to start or need help deciding what to do next. You can even save for retirement with traditional Roth and SEP IRAs. They have so many options. If you're into crypto, you can also explore crypto. They've got 30 available coins, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Cardano, Solana, Dogecoin, and so much more. But more importantly, they've got the number one ranked automated investment tool, their robo-advisor. It takes the stress out of building and managing a diversified portfolio without having to pay a bunch of experts to do it. I really like SoFi. Y'all, I've tried, you name it, and I probably tried it, and I settled on SoFi and think you will like it as well. Cut through the jargon, make investing easier with SoFi. Visit SoFi.com slash Eric to learn how you can win up to $1,000 in stock when you open an account. That's SoFi.com slash Eric. Brokerage and active investing products offered through SoFi Securities, LLC. Member Fin. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. If you text the word show to 33777, you can subscribe to the podcast and also to my daily email. You get all the show notes, all the links to all the stuff I talk about on the show, in addition to a whole lot more, a lot of interviews that you don't get otherwise, um, things like that. So text show to 33777. Now, uh, I'm going to go to Connie. Welcome to the program, Connie. How are you? Hi, I'm doing fine. Um, my The issue I want to talk about, and, and it's a big one, is all the wasteful spending in Washington. 
Uh, wh- where are these Congress people on this January 6th committee, committee getting the money to hire a Good Morning America ABC producer, director, or whatever it is to pay for this show tonight? Oh, that's a good question. So uh, each House of Congress allocates to itself a budget. Neither House of Congress second guesses the other House of Congress's budget um, because the Democrats are in charge of the House and the Democrats are in charge of the Senate. Uh, they get to set the budgets that they want to carry out investigations and hire the people they want to hire. And they decided they wanted to hire uh, the former president of ABC News because they wanted a well-scripted hearing tonight. They wanted it to follow a narrative, keyword people are going to hear a lot about, a narrative that is they want to tell a story. They want a protagonist and an antagonist. They want a plot. They want a theme. They want a prologue. They want an epilogue. They, they want a, a, a major dark night of the soul moment. Uh, and they want to sh- climax and, and wrap up the story. That's what they want. They're going to spread it out over a number of days. But today is going to be the big day. Today is going to be the day that sets the theme for everything else. And if they do a good job today, then the media will come back next week. But they, they appropriate the money themselves. And nobody can stop them. I mean, even you got to keep in mind when the Republicans control the House and the, and the Senate is controlled by the Democrats, they let each other do what they want. So if the Republicans want to, if they want to appropriate whatever they want for the House when they control it, they get it. And the Senate gets the same for themselves. Neither side controls the other side's appropriations necessarily. And, and, by law, yes, everything originates in the House there, but uh, they give each other what they want. Now, I want you to keep this in mind. This is the, the most remarkable thing here. What they're not going to do tonight is say anything about what happened yesterday. Here's the report, what we now know about the would-be assassin of Brett Kavanaugh. He made it to Brett Kavanaugh's house with a black tactical chest rig, a tactical knife, a Glock 17 with two magazines and ammunition, pepper spray, zip ties, a hammer, a screwdriver, a nail punch, a crowbar, a pistol light, duct tape, hiking boots with padding on the outside of the soles. He only called the police and confessed he was there for a murder-suicide pact after uh, he saw two U.S. Marshals on Kavanaugh's property. That's it. Um, thereafter... Um, He turned himself in because he didn't want to be in a shootout with the marshals because he was also concerned about gun violence. And he knew if he tried to break in with the marshals on the property, they would start firing and other people besides him and Kavanaugh and Kavanaugh's family could get hurt. Now, there's a side commentary here. This person is in his 20s, late 20s. The first report was he was 49. He's actually 26. And he was looking for purpose in his life. Purpose in his life. That's what he wanted. Wanted to find some purpose in his life. There is a mental health issue among a lot of young women in this country. Young men in this country are having some serious issues. And a lot of them don't have father figures. A lot of them, they they don't have any calling or purpose in life. And we got to help them in some way. 
And I don't know that I have the answer there. I, I don't know that I have the answers to as to how to help or what to do. But surely someone out there has a calling for these young men. You know, it used to be join the military. Now it's not. Uh, the military is anathema for them. You bring a bunch of progressives into this country over the last 50 years. They tear down our institutions, vilify what it means to be an American and the American dream. And then you want people to take pride in the country and be a part of the country. You, you, we got problems. Because the pattern is really striking here. The number of young men, regardless of race, who are trying to find purpose in life and can, and they turn to violence and drugs. Uh, and this is another one of those situations. And what are we going to do about it as a society? We got some problems. I got some thoughts, some more. When we come back, 877-973-7425 is the number. Hi there. All right, uh, I'm going to do something here. Uh, first of all, if you want to call in, that's fine, 877-973-7425. But I, I, I got uh, several things I want to talk about here, uh, and I'm going to see if I can get them all in. First, I want to spend a few more moments on this guy who wanted to kill Brett Kavanaugh. A 20-something young man showed up in uh, Maryland, where Brett Kavanaugh lives, turned himself into uh, U.S. Marshals when he saw them because he wanted to kill Brett Kavanaugh and commit suicide, but did not want a gun battle with police where other people outside of Kavanaugh and his family and this guy could be injured. He had a Glock 17. He had a tactical knife. He had on um, a tactical vest. He had... Uh, all the tools to break into the house from a crowbar and a hammer and the like, uh, and gave himself up and admitted he was there to kill Kavanaugh and himself. And he was looking for purpose in his life. And with the Dobbs decision and the Uvalde school shooting, thinking Kavanaugh was uh, one of the bad guys, he could kill Kavanaugh. Given the Democratic attacks on Kavanaugh and his confirmation process, he was the one the guy wanted to go after. He was trying to find purpose. We're seeing this more and more with uh, young men who have no purpose and resort to violence. A lot of school shooters have these situations where they, they don't have purpose in life. And they find it through violence. It's an anecdote uh, that I've mentioned a number of times in uh, Edmund Gibbons' History of the Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire. He blames Christianity for the collapse of the empire, and he's not doing so as someone hostile to the church. That's something a lot of people don't understand. He wasn't necessarily a fan of the church, but his point was that Rome sustained itself through a number of crises because the geniuses of Rome couldn't be emperor. They were precluded from being emperor because of how the emperor was chosen, but they could go into the bureaucracy and they could, for the glory of empire, keep the empire going even as the emperors and the Praetorians were killing each other. And uh, in so saying and so doing, Rome, through crisis after crisis, sustained itself. The crops came in, the bread was made, the tax revenue collected, the soldiers paid, the bureaucracy kept Rome going. The aqueducts continued to be built, the cities continued to be planned out. Rome was not planned, the others thereafter were. The temples built, the ceremonies done, the sacrifices made, and Rome kept going until the church. And when the church came along, why do you want to serve a temporal empire when you can serve an eternal God? 
and the best and the brightest stopped going into the bureaucracy and started going into the church. And the result was that over time, the Roman Empire began to collapse because the best and the brightest were no longer there to keep it going. They had gone into the church. They had squared themselves away in the ministry. They were there promoting God. And what you saw in the rise, even through the persecution period before Constantine allowed uh, Christianity to, to continue, uh, it was not Constantine who actually converted the whole empire and made it officially uh, a Christian church or Christian religion. He converted himself and those around him who wanted access to him in court converted. But it was Theodosius who actually, after Constantine, made it the imperial religion. But even in the persecution period before Constantine, some of the best and brightest, the names we know, uh, were the um, men like uh, Tertullian, uh, Polycarp. Clement, Ignatius, Irenaeus, brilliant men who moved out of the Roman bureaucracy and became ministers and theologians and thinkers uh, and apologists for Christianity. And then as as it uh, Christianized, you had men like Nicholas, St. Nicholas, Santa Claus. Uh, you had uh, men like Athanasius, men like Augustine. Uh, men like Ambrose, who went into not the Roman imperial bureaucracy, but the church bureaucracy, and became thinkers, theologians, ministers, pastors, preachers, priests, and brought the intellectual heft of the Roman Empire into the church of God for an eternal home, and we still read them to this day. And it's, it's something that we don't understand, that in the Roman Empire, the best and the brightest went into the imperial bureaucracy because there was nothing you could do greater than propping up Rome. In this country, at its founding, a lot of our best and brightest thinkers went into government, not for their own self-aggrandizement, but for the American experiment. They wanted the American experiment to succeed against royalty. They wanted the American Republic to stand out amid all of the empires. And nowadays, our best and brightest are in the private sector, and our government, for the very longest time, has allowed the private sector to run its due and prop up the country with government taking a smaller sphere. But the sphere of our government has expanded, and our best and brightest are not in government. If anything, it's it's uh, the derelicts who are in government who want job security because they can't function in a private sector where they can get fired at will, and they go into government, and then they self-aggrandize in government. We're not seeing the best and brightest go into the FBI, for example. Look at all the FBI investigations that have collapsed. Look at the partisan nature of the FBI in Washington, D.C. We're not seeing the best and brightest there. But unfortunately, this comes at a time where what is replacing capitalism in this country is not socialism, is not communism, but is uh, a technocracy where the best and brightest, the societal elite and the government elite believe that we can hand society over to technocrats and those technocrats can pull levers and, and flip switches and get economic outcomes that they like for a cultural elite, but the people in charge are not that bright. 
the opinionated uh, pundits of the New York Times are not the smartest people and the brightest stars in the sky. And they're the ones who want to control the technocracy. And what we're seeing more and more is that when we hand our society over to a technocracy and a bunch of technocrats and bureaucrats, our society does not perform as well and goes to hell in a handbasket. And that's what's going on right now as our technocracy has decided to fix capitalism, not to shift it to something, uh, but to fix it. And in fixing it, they're making it worse and they're making it perform in ways that capitalism is not supposed to perform. They're breaking down the free market and they're picking winners and losers. The society itself through the free marketplace is supposed to be what fit picks the winners and losers. Instead, it's government and outside entities that think they can pick the winners and losers. It's influencers who think they can do it, and they're not doing a very good job of it. And it's causing people to doubt capitalism itself and moving a lot of Americans towards a flirtatiousness with socialism that is unhealthy. And along the way, we got a bunch of young men who are trying to find their way in the world and they can't. And the cultural elite in this country and society are now at war with the church. You know, it used to be that the Republican Party was called the Episcopal Episcopalian Church at Prayer. The Episcopalian Church itself is in a state of moral and intellectual collapse. I have friends who are Episcopalians and they are the last of them. Uh, the demographic decline of the Episcopal Church and the Presbyterian USA Church in America, the last of them have already been born. We're about to see this with the United Methodist Church as the liberals take over the UMC and the conservatives leave to go do their own thing. You're about to see the collapse of the United Methodist Church in this country. Because it turns out that as churches embrace the culture around them, they reflect the world around them, and people see no reason to get up on a Sunday and go hang out with a group of strangers they consider friends who they don't really know to worship a God they no longer believe in. They just stay home and sleep. Churches used to be, even in this country, where young men could go with great ideas and actually help the world and find purpose. The military used to be where young men could go to find purpose. We've now got to the point where we think uh, boys and girls can be interchangeable, but actually the reality is uh, boys and girls matter. They matter in their own way. They matter in their own right, and they matter as boys, and they matter as girls, not as an interchangeable, non-denominational, non-genderized entity. And there are a lot of young men without fathers at home who have no place in the world, and they're trying to find their place in the world. And there used to be a lot of churches in local communities that were bold and brash for Christ and would draw people in and find homes for the young men and give them purpose through Christ to go out and make their communities better even if their father wasn't home. And a lot of churches have continued to break down and fail to do that these days. There are certainly some that do, and the ones that do it the most and frankly do it the best are the ones the furthest removed from the orthodoxy of the Bible and Christ himself. It's the social gospel progressive churches that offer a, a Jesus who is of the world, who looks like the world, who's reflected the world, and is not of the Bible, not the one who can save people from sin and draw them to eternity. And so the young go reckless and wild. We have problems in this country. And until we recognize that men and women are distinct and complement each other, we're going to continue to have problems as we abandon young men in this country to their own devices and the Internet where they're going to be raised by someone. They're either going to be raised by parents or they're going to be raised by society. And when society is collapsing, we're letting a collapsed and failing society fail a bunch of young men, 
many of whom will turn to drugs, pornography, and violence. We could fix this if we wanted to. I'm just not sure society really wants to fix the problem. Now, an abrupt pivot to the other thing I wanted to talk about. Live. Live. Now, when I say I want to talk about live, I'm not talking about uh, L-I-V-E, live. I'm talking about L-I-V, uh, 54. That's the Roman numerals. It's the new golf group to compete with the PGA Tour. Live golf. It's funded by the Saudi Arabians. It is controversial in part because the Saudi Arabians are trying to buy their way into credibility by putting forward uh, millions of dollars to fund a new golf tournament, $225 million total. And they're bringing in people from the PGA Tour. Now, most of the major athletes in the PGA are not going. Here's the thing you need to understand. And I didn't realize this until I really got into watching golf and getting back my golf game is, you know, in the PGA, there's a cut and you don't make a lot of money. And if you don't make the, if you make the, or if you don't make the cut, you don't make any money. And so really it's an opportunity for people with talent to shine. But people these days want to be entertained, and that's the genius of live where it comes in is there is going to be no cut. They've invited people to play, and everyone will make a ton of money. The Saudis are putting up $400 million, $225 million towards prize money. The top players are being getting a guarantee to play. Every live golf event has a $25 million purse. The winner is guaranteed $4 million. There are no cuts. So the last place person is going to get $120,000 guaranteed, and the season finale will have $50 million purse. With the Masters... There was a $15 million purse, and Scotty Scheffler got $2.7 million. The 39 players who missed the cut and went home didn't get a penny. The PGA is premised on the best get the best and the worst go home. Live is premised on you want rock star talent. You want to see uh, the, the people who are playing. You want to see Dustin Johnson. You want to see uh, Phil play. You want to see all these, these great players play. And they're all going to get a lot of money. Tiger Woods was offered almost a billion dollars to join. And he told me that he is, or he told me, I, I read that Tiger Woods is not going to join. He didn't want the billion dollars. Greg Norman is fronting Live. He's the Hall of Famer. Uh, he's going to play. He wanted out of the PGA. There's a lot of problems within the PGA. But I don't know that well let, let put it to you this way i like golf for the game i don't like golf for the golfers there are talented golfers rory mcelroy tiger woods and others uh, but i actually like to watch the game i actually like to play the game i'm terrible at the game. i'm really really bad at the game i want to get good in fact i was going to sign up for my lessons till i got this missing thumb issue um but i don't know that I just want to watch golf because I want to watch the, the, I don't want to watch the celebrities play. I don't like the celebrity golf tour. I like the PGA because a guy who no one's really paid attention to before, like Scotty Shuffler, for example, 
who's really good this year but was kind of an unknown last year can suddenly do very well and suddenly come to fame and prominence, and I kind of like that egalitarian aspect of it. Uh, Live, the Saudi tournament where only the celebrities play and they all get a bunch of money, uh, that's kind of the every that's kind of everybody gets a trophy, and I don't like a golf game where everybody gets a trophy. There should be winners and losers and people who go home that you never hear from again, and that's not the case with Liv. So I'm sure people will watch, but I'm also sure it's not going to be the game that I want to watch. Now I want you to participate in Patriot Mobile. They give you good discounts. You actually, not everybody gets a trophy, but with Patriot Mobile, everybody gets good discounts. Uh, and you also get a portion of your profits dedicated to the conservative movement. So the causes you care about, you're doing business with a Christian conservative entity. So you go to Patriot Mobile, patriotmobile.com slash Eric. You get um, you get a free activation with my name. You have data, you get 5G, you get voice, you get voicemail, you get a new phone number, bring over your existing phone number. If you have an unlocked phone, bring them over. Uh, if you need a new phone, you can get one from them. And if you want to call them, they have 100% U.S.-based customer service. So you go to 972-PATRIOT, 972-PATRIOT. You tell them I said you, you get free activation. Talk to them about their discounts. If you're a teacher, a first responder, a veteran, an NRA member, they're going to give you a good discount to bring your business to Patriot Mobile. You're going to get the same cell towers everyone else uses. You don't have to worry about inferior service. It's the same towers everybody else uses. And a portion of the profits go to support the causes you care about, from the Second Amendment to life. It's patriotmobile.com slash Eric, or you can call them 100% U.S.-based customer service, 972-PATRIOT. Tell them I sent you, get free activation, and do business with a company that actually wants your business and shares your values. I find this story hilarious. George Soros is funding um, the primary backer of a $60 million deal for a Latino media network. It's a $60 million deal for 18 AM and FM stations and some others, it appears. And uh, Soros is funding it. And the reason he's funding it, it's, it's some Hollywood backers and some progressives. There are a growing number of conservative stations that are Spanish language stations. And the left is trying to shut this down quickly. They're trying to stop Latino voters moving to the right. And one of the ways they're doing it is buying stations in Los Angeles, New York, Miami, Chicago, Dallas, Houston, San Antonio, McAllen, Fresno, Las Vegas, Phoenix, and others, and uh, turning them back into progressive uh, left-wing stations that speak Spanish and tell the Spanish-language audience the Democratic Party's talking points. It's amazing how suddenly they're realizing how influential conservative talk radio can be, particularly as Hispanic voters, Latino voters move to the left or move to the right, rather, away from the left. It's kind of an interesting phenomenon. A lot of people aren't talking about it, but there has been a growing movement in Hispanic radio in particular to start highlighting conservative voices who speak Spanish. And those stations have actually been growing in audience share, Hispanic language talk radio. Some of them do mixed um, voice, so you have English language speakers as well for part of the day who are conservative. There were some stations that ran, for example, Rush Limbaugh and were otherwise Spanish language, but would have Rush. And Hispanic audiences that were conservative, politically oriented, they loved it. 
They love the message, uh, pro-America, pro-business, pro-them, and the left is pretty angry about it. So an opportunity has come up for them to buy a bunch of these stations and make sure they don't drift to the right. George Soros has put up the money. Uh, Just remind you again of how fearful the left is right now about the drift to the right, but they're not going to be able to stamp out good ideas. New stations will crop up with conservative Spanish-speaking voices, and the drive will continue, the move will continue, and the domination of the Democrats will go away in the Hispanic community.